Um, we are starting a new mini-series tonight uh, called The Importance of the Mind. And on holiday this summer, I took away a whole bunch of books to read, um, mainly because my intention every night is to open the book I want to read and to start reading. But I don't know if you have the same problem. I always fall asleep and I never get very far. And so I took a whole heap of books on holiday with me. But the book that really um, spoke to me the most, really stood out for me was a book by Joyce Meyer called Battlefields of the Mind. And um, as I was reading it, God was speaking to me and he was highlighting stuff in my life that he wanted to deal with. And above all else, God was showing me the importance of our minds. And I didn't realize until I read her book how our thoughts hold so much power over us. What goes on in our minds can dictate whether we have a good day or a bad day, whether we feel hopeful and expectant or worried and fearful. What goes on in our minds can make us go from feeling like we're doing really well in life. We can feel like um, life is full of fun and hope and endless possibilities. We can feel really close to God. We can feel like we're succeeding in our jobs. We can feel like we're at peace with ourselves. On a good day, we can feel like we're doing okay bringing up our kids. Or we can look at our small group and pat ourselves on the back and say, actually, I'm doing a good job leading that small group. My small group is in a good place. Or we can look at our financial situation or our marriage um, and just feel like things are okay, things are well. And then suddenly something switches. Something switches in our thoughts, whether it be doubt or insecurities or worries or lies from the enemy. And those things come and they start attacking our thoughts, start attacking our minds. And we go from being all the way up here to all the way down here. Sometimes in a matter of seconds, it really doesn't take very long. And I can so often be like that. You know, um, my identity in Jesus can take a knock if my mind is in a bad place. I can go from feeling like I'm a real warrior for God to being a complete wimp. And it really doesn't take very long. Negative thought patterns can hold us back easily, so easily hold us back and hinder the things of God in our lives. And for all of us here, we will struggle to, with varying degrees of thoughts of worry and depression and anger and confusion and doubt and self-condemnation. And all of these things, they're attacks. They're attacks that come against our thought life, against our mind. And I love what Joyce Meyer says in her book. She says, Satan offers wrong thinking to everyone, but we don't have to accept his offer. I love that. We don't have to accept it. And it's scary the power our thoughts have over us. And so over the next little while, whenever I speak, we're going to unpack a bit more about the importance of our minds. We're going to look at what the Bible says, and we're going to try and line up our thought life more in line with God's word. And we're going to pray for breakthrough, that we see glimmers of breakthrough in our thought life. We're going to look at how we can say no to Satan's offer of wrong thinking. 
And so tonight we're in Romans, and we're in Romans 8, verses 5 to 10. And um, for those who have had the Bibles given out to you, it's on page 1134. I'm not even going to say what that actually is in number. Because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'll muck it up. 1,134, yeah, there we go, I did it. Right, okay. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, right. Okay, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Amen. So, I um, started to learn to drive when I was 17. I lived in a really rural part of North Devon, and I was working at the time, and I thought, actually, it would be really good if I could have a bit of independence and learn to drive. So I started taking weekly driving lessons. But to be honest with you, I didn't feel like much of a driver. And so... um, One day, I was flicking through the paper. Shows how old I am. Not many people flick through papers anymore, do they? It's all online. Anyway, I was flicking through the paper, and um, I came across this advert, which was a week-long intensive driving course that pretty much practically guaranteed that I was going to pass at the end of the course. Now, it was going to cost me a huge amount of money, but for me, I thought it was worth it. So I paid the money, I signed up, and I looked forward to hearing those words at the end of that week, congratulations, Taryn, you have passed. And so I started thinking about what kind of car I would like uh, to drive. I started looking at different models of car. I started looking at what I could afford to buy. The most important thing, which still is uh, number one on my priority list, what color car, that's still number one. Does it look good? And um, the week came around and I started the course. And to be honest with you, I struggled all the way through it. Uh, Driving did not come naturally to me, but I never once considered that I might fail. Didn't cross my mind. Because I was on a course and it was gonna guarantee that I was gonna pass. Test day came and I did everything brilliantly absolutely everything. I was as pleased as punch. I was so happy. And as I put the handbrake on, turned the ignition off, and turned to my driving instructor with bated breath, he turned to me and he said, Taryn, have you ever heard of the term freewheeling before? I was like, no, what's that? And he said, well, that's exactly what you've done throughout your whole driving test today. And he went on to say that I had my foot on the clutch the entire time. So even though I was uh, going through all the gears properly, 
they were completely ineffective because I never once brought my foot up from the clutch. <laughs> and so I failed. I failed. And in fact, I was the only one who did fail. <laughs> Sorry, I crack myself up sometimes. <laughs> And for us, just being a Christian doesn't automatically mean that we begin to look and act and speak and think like Jesus. We don't automatically become Christ-like when we become a Christian, just like I didn't automatically pass my driving test. You know, I wanted to bypass the weekly grind of driving lessons. I wanted to find a much faster way of doing it because I didn't want to put the effort in. You know, a week-long course was so much more appealing to me, so much more instant, so much more faster. I could get learning to drive out the way so then I could concentrate on the more glamorous things like car shopping and having my own independence and, and driving my friends' places. You see, there are no quick ways for our minds to become more like Jesus. We're not going to suddenly wake up tomorrow morning and our wrong thinking has turned to right thinking overnight, just like that. It's not going to happen. We won't change our thinking, our thought patterns, our negative behavior if we're not prepared to put the work in. Jesus doesn't want us to freewheel our way around this stuff, but instead he wants us to dig in. He wants us to commit to putting in the work so that we can start experiencing freedom up here in our thought life. And just in case you're interested, I eventually passed my driving test, age 27. Uh, I was 17 when I started. I was not taking driving lessons, I have to say this, every week for years and years and years. There were long breaks in between, but I eventually passed when I was 27. And I will admit this, because I like to be vulnerable, it was my 12th uh, attempt. <laughs> Do you know, when I said this the other day, I had someone come up to me and he said, where have you parked in the car park? <laughs> I haven't had any accidents. I am a good driver, honestly. And so tonight, we're going to look at four ways that these verses in Romans teach us to live. And if we choose not to take any shortcuts with this stuff, but through hard work and perseverance and with the help of the Holy Spirit, then we can start seeing our mindset change and our thought life change to bring about glory to Jesus. So firstly, our minds dictate the way we live. You know, what goes on in our heads, what goes on in our thoughts, they all matter to God. It all matters. It's so important to him because what goes on in our thought life then outworks itself into the rest of our lives. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, in the King James Version, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinks, so he is. You see, our thoughts dictate actions. We think, then we do. Or we think, then we become. Our mind is the forerunner to our actions. Or you could say our actions are a direct result of what's going on up here, our thoughts. And in verse 5 of this passage, it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
So firstly, what does Paul mean here when he talks about the word flesh? Well, what he's not meaning, he's not talking about our physical bodies. He's not talking about our bodily instincts. But instead, what he's talking about is our humanness, our sinful, broken, sin-dominated self. And here Paul is saying that as Christians, we have a choice. We have two options for how we're going to live our lives. We can live according to the way of the Spirit, or we can live according to the way of the flesh. In other words, we can focus on what we think, what we believe, the lies that the enemy is saying to us, or we can focus on God's truth. And the key to what path we will choose is what we set our minds on. What viewpoint are our minds set on? Our viewpoint, the flesh's viewpoint, full of doubt and fear and depression and insecurity and self-condemnation, or the Spirit's viewpoint, God's viewpoint. Often the way we feel is a really good indicator to the thoughts that we've been thinking. What path have we chosen to set our minds on? Are we feeling positive or are we feeling negative? Have we chosen the path of the Spirit or the path of the flesh? As Joyce Meyer says, where the mind goes, the man follows. You see, thoughts bear um, fruit. Our thoughts, they bear fruit. And if we set our minds on things of the Spirit, we're going to think positive thoughts that are going to outwork itself into a positive, healthy life. You know, it's not possible to have a positive life and a negative mind. It's not possible. If we think fleshly thoughts, wrong thoughts, negative thoughts, then we can't walk in the Spirit. So the question is, how can we walk in the Spirit? How can the outworkings of our minds bring about a life of good fruit? Firstly, people of the Spirit have their minds set on God's Word. You know, we need to get our thinking in line with God's Word, and that means spending time reading the Bible. And I love the analogy that, again, good old Joyce uses in her book, where she talks about our physical bodies are dependent upon vital signs. We're dependent upon a heartbeat and blood pressure. And without them, there is no life. There is no life. And so our spiritual life is dependent upon uh, regular quality time that we spend with the Lord. It is vital to keeping us spiritually alive. Next one is prayer. We can't change our thought life alone. You know, we might walk out these doors tonight and think, that's it, I'm determined. I'm going to sort out my thought life, my mindset. I'm going to change it. It's never going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. One of the best ways that we can start experiencing freedom in our thought life is through prayer. We can ask for God for his help at any time, anywhere and as often as we like and uh, Chuck and I we've got three kids and uh, over the years they've learned to tie their shoelaces well at least two of them have one is still learning and I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have stood by our front door waiting to go out and our kids are sitting down on the little bench by the front door trying to tie their shoelaces and they're fumbling around for ages and ages and eventually one of them will look up and they'll say, Mom, can you help me with this? Can you just show me that again? I need your help. 
I need your help. And in Zechariah 4, verse 6, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and we can call upon him whenever we like, because we can't do it on our own. Lastly, choosing thoughts carefully. In Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And in this passage, we're told the kind of things that we're to think about. We're told to think about things that are going to build us up and not tear us down. Because the reality is, when we're full of wrong thinking, we are missing. And the reality is that we make people around us miserable too. Thinking about what we're thinking about is a really great thing that we can start doing. It's a really useful tool because then we can invite the Holy Spirit to look at the root, to show us the root of that issue and to pull it out. So I might wake up one morning and feel really niggly. I don't know what I'm feeling niggly about. And as I ask the Lord, as I pray about it, he shows me, actually, Taryn, you're feeling jealous. What's the root of that? What is the root? It might be unforgiveness. It might be insecurity. It could be all sorts of things. But once I know the root, I can then do business with God. I can forgive that person. I can hand that stuff to the Lord, and he pulls it out by the root. If any of you are gardeners, you will know that it's pointless just uh, taking the tops off of weeds because it always grows back. What you want to do as a gardener is you want to dig down deep and you want to pull out that weed by its root. If our thoughts affect what we become, we should make it a priority to think right thoughts. Secondly, In this passage, verse 6, it says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So our minds set us apart. We get life and peace instead of death. And in this verse, Paul isn't talking about the kind of death that we experience when we die, but he's talking about a different kind of death that happens to us every time we uh, live according to the flesh. We will experience either or all of these things fear and guilt and hostility and emptiness and they're all forms of death that we experience when our minds aren't being ruled by God's spirit fear can look like worry or anxiety that we carry around within us guilt can show up in our lives as shame or self-hatred hostility will manifest itself as hate or resentment bitterness or revenge. Emptiness can look like loneliness, depression, discouragement and hopelessness. And all of these things, they're symptoms of death that we experience when our minds are being ruled by the flesh. I experience them and I know you will too. And let's be honest, it's an absolutely horrible place to be in. It's crippling and it's isolating. And we see it all around us as well, don't we? We see it all around us. All around us we see fear and guilt and hostility and emptiness and loneliness. Because all of these things are a direct result from worldly thinking. Last year, probably most of us will remember this, but on the 5th of December last year, Nelson Mandela died. 
age 95. And uh, he led the struggle to do away with the very oppressive apartheid regime that was happening in South Africa. And he was uh, jailed in a maximum security prison on Robin Island for 27 years, where he was beaten, tortured, humiliated, and starved. He was an amazing example of a man being set apart from the world's way of doing things, the world's way of thinking. And I'm convinced that what, that's why there was such a huge outpouring when he died globally. You know, he spoke so much about grace and forgiveness. He stood out to the world. He spoke about forgiveness instead of retribution, love instead of hate. He was a person who carried Jesus' life and peace. He stood out from the world's way of doing things because he loved the Lord. And he says in his book, The Long Walk to Freedom, which is a brilliant book, he said, I realized that they could take everything from me except my mind and my heart. They could not take those things. Those things I still had under control. I still had control over. And I decided not to give them away. I decided not to give them away. You see, Nelson Mandela made a choice to allow his mind to be ruled by the Holy Spirit. Even in that place of torture, he recognized that he still had a choice of who was in control of his thinking. And for us, the good news is that Jesus has given us a way out from a life of thinking that leads to death. He's given us a way out. He's given us his spirit that leads to a life of thinking that brings about life and peace. When our minds, our thoughts are governed by the Holy Spirit, life and peace will always be ours, even in the most darkest of places in our lives. Just like with Nelson Mandela, we can still have life and peace. So what does life and peace look like for us as Christians? Well, if life is the opposite to death and death is fear, then life is trust and hope and confidence. And if death is guilt, then life is acceptance and security and assurance. And if death is hostility, then life is love and kindness and reaching out to others. If death is emptiness, then life is a sense of well-being, of purpose and fulfillment. And not only does it say that we will have life, but we get a double whammy. We will have life and peace. Not the worldly peace that we experience when things are going our way, but a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that can only come from Jesus. A peace that when all natural reasoning says we should be upset, we're experiencing Jesus' supernatural peace instead. Thirdly, we need to watch out for mind control. Anyone used to watch Gok Wan, How to Look Good Naked? Go on, admit it. Hands up. Yes. Any guys? Chuck, put your hand up. <laughs> I love that program. I really loved it. And uh, part of what I loved about it was every week Gok would get a woman who um, maybe had a particular issue about her body or her body shape and um, he would line up maybe 10 or 12 different women of different um, sizes and he would say to this woman, okay, I want you to walk down the line and choose 
out of this line here, the woman whose body shape is most like yours, or the part of your body you don't like, finds that size and, uh, and this row here. And each time, the woman would choose someone who is at least four, maybe five, six, or even seven times bigger than her. And she would point and she would say, that's what my body looks like. And God could have a little smile to himself and he, as he walks the woman back down the line. And he would say, no, no, no. This is actually what you look like. And every single time, the women cannot believe it. They cannot believe it. You see, their thinking has become twisted and distorted. They've gone around thinking and believing a lie. They've spent a whole heap of time worrying about their appearance, hating their bodies, because they have a distorted view on how they look. And verse 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. We have an enemy who's into mind control. He wants to control our minds. And one way of doing that is he wants to distort our thinking so that our thoughts then turn against God. Just like those women who had a distorted view about their bodies. And so they turned against that part of themselves, hating that part of themselves. That is exactly what the devil wants to do for every single one of us who is a Christian. He wants to sell us lies that we then believe, that then lead to a skewed belief system and mindset. A mindset that then becomes hostile to God which basically means our minds turn against God, become an enemy to God. It means that we can't believe God's truth. We can't believe the truth that it says in his word. We can't believe the truth, the promises that he's given us. It means we can't believe the truth that other Christians are speaking into us. The devil is never, ever going to run out of fiery darts to attack us with. He's never going to take a bank holiday. He will always come. He will always come. He knows that if he can control our thoughts, he can control our life. It's that simple. And that's why he so aggressively comes and attacks our thinking. To distort our minds, to turn them and make them hostile to God. And maybe for some of us today, we're experiencing a mind that is unable to believe the things of God. We're struggling to believe his word. We're struggling to believe promises he gave us. Maybe for some of us, we're even doubting if God exists. Where in the past, we had absolutely no problem in believing in him. Have our minds become hostile to God? You know, the great news is that we have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living in us. And we can call upon the Holy Spirit at any time to push out enemy's mind control, to push him out. The Holy Spirit is an amazing supernatural power that the devil cannot stand up to. He has to go. He has to go. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to come anytime, day or night, and we can give him permission to come and retake control of our thinking. And for some of us here, we may need to come and we may need to say sorry to the Lord for allowing doubt to consume our minds, 
I'm not talking about the kind of doubt that we all will experience, Christian or non-Christian. I think that's part of our brokenness, part of our humanness, if you like. Doubting is a natural thing. But I'm talking about it's like you've intentionally walked down the path of doubt. You've intentionally feasted off doubt. You've intentionally wallowed in doubt. And if that's you, all you need to do is come before the Lord. You need to say sorry to him because the power of doubt that that doubt will have over your mind will be huge. And as you say sorry to him, and in the name of Jesus, he will cut that off and he will bring his truth and his freedom into your life, into your thinking. God has given us all the weapons we need to fight our enemy. He's given us prayer. He's given us the Bible, repentance and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. And if we use all of those things, our minds are no longer going to be hostile to God, an enemy of God. But instead, our minds become the opposite. The opposite of an enemy is a friend. Our minds become friends of God. And as I was preparing this talk, the picture, the word hostile just kept, kept coming up in my mind. And the picture that I had was of a barren land, a poisoned, deserted, barren land where nothing could grow. And I think for some of us here tonight, that's what we feel our minds are like, our thought life is like. And then when the word friend, I just kept thinking about the word friend and Jesus showed me a picture and it was of a just newly plowed field, farmer's field, rich, deep, rich soil, so ripe and ready for planting seeds that are going to take shoot and grow and flourish into a huge crop, into a huge harvest. Are our minds friends of God? And lastly, we need to accept the gift of righteousness. Verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If there's anything I want you to take away from this talk tonight, please remember this. The Spirit gives us life because of Jesus' righteousness. Our bodies are dead because of sin. And for those that aren't Christians, when they die, that is it. Their bodies die, their spirits die, the end. No more. But for those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, we're made alive because of the gift of Jesus' righteousness. It's a gift from God. And it has absolutely nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with what we think, what we do, what we say, what we give our money to. Nothing. And it has everything to do with Jesus Christ dying on a cross 2,000 years ago as the perfect sacrifice to pay for all of our sin so that we can be clothed in his righteousness and we can walk in his righteousness every single day of our lives. We were once dressed in filthy, dirty rags and then this gift of righteousness comes to us and the rags fall to the floor. And Jesus puts on a cloak of purity, spotless and clean, so that we can stand before God and have no worry about our sin or our shame. How amazing is that? How amazing. 
We can only walk in victory over our mind and our thought life when we clothe ourselves in Jesus' righteousness. And that means we need to keep renewing our minds, realising that our right standing is through God, through Jesus, and not through our own works. We're never going to be good enough to earn what Jesus wants to freely give us. And Satan will come and he will try and fill our minds with all sorts of lies about us, about um, how negative we are, about how awful we are, all the insecurities, he will always come. And also he's clever because he will come and he will sell us lies about what other people think about us as well because we care about what other people think. But this verse is to remind us that we are rich in righteousness. Our standing before God could not be any better. We were once bankrupt. We, if it's possible to have minus, minus, minus in the bank account, that was us. And then this gift of righteousness comes to us. And our bank account is now full to bursting. You could not get any more credit in, even if you wanted to. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And we have a certain hope and assurance of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop that. No scheming plan from the enemy, no attacks from the enemy, no fiery darts from the enemy, nothing can change that fact. Picture, if you can for a moment, a huge army tank. And it's bearing down on a tiny foot soldier. And it's about to crush him. How frightened is that soldier going to be as this massive tank is advancing towards him going to squash him? The odds are completely stacked against that soldier, that soldier. All he has as a weapon is a rifle. And he's facing this massive tank. But what happens to that soldier's odds if you give him a bazooka? If you give him a rocket launcher? Same soldier but different weapon. You see, without the power of God released in our lives, we are just like that infantry soldier in the We can't do a thing. It's far too much for us. But by the power of the living God at work in our lives, we can rise up to our enemy. And armed with the bazooka of the Holy Spirit, we can say no. No to negative thought patterns. No to wrong thinking. No to a life of doubt and insecurity and guilt and emptiness and loneliness and worry. No. And we can turn our minds to think and live and believe as God intended. Why don't we stand?